Lord God, we look to you this morning. We fix our eyes on you. And as we do, our perspective changes. God, we set our eyes toward you and ask that you would carry our burdens. God, we know that you would carry our burdens. God, in the, in the busyness and the hustle and bustle and the, the unsureness of our lives, we set our eyes on you. And we ask that in the midst of all of that, you would give us your peace. God, we know that we can trust you. And as we, as we look to you this morning, let it change our perspective. Help us to remember that heaven is our home, that you are still reigning on the throne. God, you are so good in whatever circumstance, whether we are in a valley or on a mountaintop, God, you are good. Let that be the cry of our heart this morning. Hallelujah, you are good. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your son Jesus and his sacrifice and his resurrection and what that means for us today. And not just for us, but for our families who don't know you yet, for our community who don't know you yet, for the wider region throughout Gippsland, God, who don't know you yet. We thank you for your salvation and for your love. God, we thank you for your mercies and we thank you for your hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. I can tell that you're all smiling with your eyes, with your masks on. Why don't you turn around and give a big smile with your eyes to someone. Say good morning, say hello. Make someone feel very welcome to church. Hey, if you're tuning in online, we're so glad that you're here. We love having you tune in, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube or the online platform. We're stoked that you're here with us. Uh, We're so thankful to have you joining us in that way. Hey, everyone. I was just sharing in our team meeting this morning that um, today is Sunday, but I haven't known what day it is for about a week. Anyone else from youth camp just feeling like, who knows what day it is? Yeah? Can I get just like a little woohoo from everyone who came to camp? Yeah, it was a good time, huh? Do you know what, Ingrams, you can all cheer. You were all there. Glenn and Alexis blessed us with some worship. They brought uh, the younger Ingrams down as well. I was serving hot chocolates for supper and I passed one to Zach and Jonah before I even realised that they weren't youth age. The boys are just so tall and they fit in so well with our tribe. We can't wait till you age into youth ministry, boys. Anyway, we're stoked. It was a really great time and um, just, you know... I was going to say hug a youth leader today, but maybe don't, like, just gently encourage a youth leader today because they're probably still recovering. It was a good time, though. We had a great, great time, and God did some incredible things amongst our young people. So we just wanted to thank all of you for praying for us and those of you who came along and helped us in different ways, um, and also those who sponsored young people to go to camp. There was things that happened in the last few days that have changed eternities, so we're really uh, thankful and blessed. Hey, I have some announcements. Are you ready? Yep. I say this every time, the most important thing is the Church Centre app, because I'm not that good at getting the announcements correct, but if you have the Church Centre app, then you can uh, fact check me at all times, Uh, and that has all the events that are coming up for church, any special announcements. If there's something that is just specific to you also, sometimes we can send out little notifications to you, hey, there's a young adult thing happening, hey, uh, we've seen you've registered for a bike ride before, they're happening again if you want to, so get the app. Have your notifications switched on and you'll always be in the loop of what's happening. You can also check into church. 
So we're QR coding everywhere we go, but also it really helps us if you check in on your church centre app to let us know you're in person in the room, but also if you're online. We do our best to um, help, love, support uh, and uh, minister to you, but if you let us know that you're watching, that's the best way that we can uh, support you and get you connected to different things. So uh, you can do that by commenting in the chat and our team will take a note of that or check in on the Church Centre app. You can let us know if you're in a home hub or if you're watching online. Amazing. So here are the announcements. Check in. Kids ministry. Kids ministry starts back during the service next Sunday. So good. I will miss having you all in the service, but uh, for kinder kids right up to grade six, there'll be something on for you in church next week. And I'm sure Pastor Steve and the team are very excited about that. We're very excited because Pastor Steve's actually preaching this morning. That's very good. Lucky we don't miss out on that one before kids' ministry starts back. Uh, Youth, uh, we'll be back on the 4th of Feb. So generational ministry is all kicking off in the next couple of weeks. So we're pretty excited about that. Everything else that you need to know is in uh, your newsletter, which gets emailed to you, or on the Church Centre app. If you're having trouble logging in, there was a few people who are having a few little issues, just let us know uh, and we can get that sorted for you. But that's the best way to keep up to date with what's happening in church life. Sound good? Amazing. Uh, We're going to come this morning to a time of communion. um, And I just wanted to read a couple of um, scriptures to you. This is a favourite of mine from, um, from Ephesians. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how high and how deep the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's such a good section, and there's a lot of really amazing uh, things to pull out of that passage, but um, there's just this little part here that says, together with all the Lord's holy people, together with all the Lord's holy people, may you grasp how wide and how deep the love of Christ. When we come to communion, uh, what we're doing is remembering what Jesus has done for us. We're remembering his sacrifice on the cross. We're remembering his body broken for us. We're remembering uh, his payment uh, for sin so that we could have right relationship with God, so that we could know him. But we're also joining together in unity as we remember that. And so uh, as we take communion this morning, whether you're in the room or uh, watching at home, let us remember what God has done for us as individuals and how he has loved us and, and continue to seek and understand what that love means for us, but also what it means for us as a community, as all of God's people drawn together in unity despite our differences, despite uh, anything that might divide us. God wants to unite us in his body. And so let's remember this morning that we are uh, one with uh, Jesus at the head um, and that um, he has such an incredible plan and a purpose for us that begins with salvation. Yeah? Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray. And um, if you're in the room, we're going to try and get a good flow of traffic going this way and this way so that um, we're being a little COVID safe as we collect communion. I'm going to pray, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can come into your presence. We thank you uh, for all that you have done for us. 
We thank you for salvation. We thank you for Jesus and his death, but also his resurrection and what that means for us. God, we just desire to know you more, to follow wherever you lead. And so we lean into your presence this morning and we trust that you are working among us. Help us to remember the great gift of salvation. God, help us to remember all the incredible signposts along the way of your faithfulness in our lives. And God, draw us together closer in unity than we have ever been before, whether we are in the room or online. God, we are all one body, created in your image to do good works that you have prepared in advance for us. God, we thank you this morning and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, Lord, we pray that you would send your spirit, that you would pour out your spirit on this land, on us, that you would stir up your spirit that is within us, Lord, that we would really understand and know your grace that's allowed us to come to you and to know the love that you poured out on us as well. Lord, help us to know what to do with that love. So, Lord, we just thank you and we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us here this morning. And just teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome. Good morning. Have a seat. So, I get to continue our little series on parables. Um, And I really like parables, because I like stories. Um, But more than that, each year, because I'm a a primary school chaplain as part of my time, and at the start of the year, I like to go around to different classes and take a picture book in. So for the younger kids, that's fine. They go, oh, great, you know, we're going to get a story. But the grade fives and sixes all start to roll their eyes a little bit. Oh, God, he's going to read us a picture book. This is just embarrassing. But like I explained to them, often in picture stories, there's a lot of uh, truth that comes across and sometimes it comes across in ways that are difficult to express in words and I love the way that Jesus chooses that as a way of teaching, that he will tell a picture story to, to really impart the essence of the truth or the spirit of the truth he's getting across. So I'm, yeah, really happy to be Um, asked to preach on one of the parables. So I'm going to preach on the Good Samaritan. Um, It's a really well-known one. I apologise if you've heard it umpteen times before and you've heard much better people than me preach on it. Um, But I hope God can speak to all of us this morning. I know he has to me as I've been preparing it. And we know that God's Word is a, a living thing. And it doesn't matter how many times we've read it, how many times we've heard it, there's always new things that he can show us and new things he can teach us. So, let's have a look. In Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, if you're someone who likes to read along on your device or in, dare I say it, a book, um, or it's on the screen. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Lord, I pray that you can help show us your truth in this picture story that you told so long ago that we know contains living truth for us today. So Lord, I pray you help us see that truth this morning in Jesus' name. So, let's have a bit of a closer look. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus just says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. So Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Sort of Jesus saying, yep, good textbook answer, just go do that then. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? So the man, um, some versions say that he wants to justify himself, some say he wants to justify his question or justify his actions. So he wants to be shown to be right. He wants to be shown in front of this little crowd of people who Jesus is teaching that he's knowledgeable, that he's, he wants to nod from Jesus, this new rabbi saying, oh, no worries, mate, you're on, you're on the mark, you know, what a legend. Um, and the common... Uh, so he asks that leading question, who is my neighbour? Now, the common concept of neighbour is like, if I said your neighbour, you think, well, someone lives near me, in my street, you know, might extend to friends and family. The Jewish or Hebrew notion, when this expert of the law would know that, would extend to anybody in the Hebrew nation. So any fellow Jew is my neighbour. So whether he's looking to get a little brownie point for that... Um, I don't know. But it's so like us, we like to feel justified. We like to feel, if we ask a question, there's nothing worse if we feel like it's a dumb question. You know, if you're in a a small group or in a crowd and you think, I've got a question, you know, like if you're in a a lecture or something, you I really want to ask this question, but I'm a bit scared to because if it's a dumb question, I'm going to feel really bad. But if the guy up the front says, oh, that's, that's a good question, suddenly you go, yeah, thank you very much. I knew that was a good question. I'm an intelligent person and I know things. That's what this guy was like. He he wants to justify himself and we're like that as well. We also like to know where the boundaries are. And this guy asks, who is my neighbour? But he may as well have asked, who isn't my neighbour? Where do the boundaries lie? And we like to know that as well. How far do I have to go? 
Um, and it's so like Peter's question to Jesus when he's talking about forgiveness. How many times should I forgive somebody? And I, as I understand it, the, the Jewish law would have said you forgive somebody three times. So Peter throws out, do I forgive them seven times? Thinking he's going to get, oh man, you're on the mark, like seven times, that's fantastic. But Jesus says, no, not seven times, 70 times seven times. He just shoots him down. Because with God's love, there is no boundaries. And this guy's looking for a boundary, he's, he's not going to find one. Because with God, that his love and compassion just does not have a boundary. And I can imagine when he asks that, who is my neighbour? We sort of read it and we just sort of flow straight on to reading the next little bit. But I can imagine Jesus just stopping for a second and thinking to himself and thinking, how can I put this? How can I put this that this guy is going to understand what this really means? And then he comes up with this story. So I say, okay, well, say there was this guy And he goes on with it. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the road from Jericho up to Jerusalem, uh, people were always going up to Jerusalem because they had to go up to the temple to make sacrifices and things like that, as well as do business. It was a rough road. Um, It's not, it's an area that it was easy to be attacked by bandits and that's why people would travel in groups Uh, just for safety. Um, We find that when Jesus' family have gone up to the temple when he's about 12 years old and they leave to head home and they don't realise he's not there, it's because they're travelling in a big group because that's how you stayed safe. So this would would be a common thing. The guys, you know, it's a, a picture that would be easily spring to mind. And the other thing is Jesus just says, a man. He's talking to a a Jewish audience. So the guy's going to hear a Jew, a Jewish man, otherwise Jesus would have said. Um, But notice he doesn't say he was uh, a rich man or a poor man or an important man or a nobody, he just says a man. The robbers left him stripped, so you wouldn't be able to tell who he was anyway. Um, He's just a human being in Jesus' story. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, the priests were descendants of Aaron. They are the ones who actually offered the sacrifices in the temple. Um, If they drew the right lot, they got to go into the Holy of Holies once a year uh, to offer sacrifices. His concerns could have been for his safety. He didn't want to be attacked as well. His concerns could have been to stay clean. He's going up to Jerusalem. He's going to the temple. If he touches a dead body or if this guy happens to not be Jewish, this could be bad for him. He could be unclean. He wouldn't be able to serve in the temple. A lot of times we get hung up in these stories on trying to guess what the people were thinking. We don't know what the guy was thinking. We just know he was a priest. Uh, So he would know God's law. He served in the temple, but he went by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, a Levite works in the temple as well. He's not descended from Aaron, but he is in that sort of priestly caste. But he gets to do all the menial jobs, like keeping the fires going, bringing the wood in, cleaning up all the mess after the sacrifices, those sort of things. Um, Still a a man of God. And once again, we don't know what he was thinking, but we assume it would be similar. He's worried about his safety, maybe worried about being ritually unclean. Uh, If this guy happens to be dead, that's not good. 
And then, but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So here, Jesus is talking to his nice little Jewish crowd, and this expert of the Jewish law is talking to him. And here, Jesus really shocks them, because according to the way you tell stories, you say, well, there was this priest, you know, what they're like, and there was this Levite, and they're kind of okay guys, but you know what they're like. And then there was this everyday Jewish guy and he came up the road just like you and me that's what everyone's expecting to hear but then Jesus changed that and he the character the hero of his story is actually an enemy when we talk about Samaritans and we talk about good Samaritans even non-Christians have associations with that word Samaritan these days where they think of charity works and good works um that's how well this story is sort of crept into our culture. We have the Samaritan's Purse, which we do the Christmas boxes each year. We have a group called the Samaritans, who are there, they give emotional support, disability care, um, all those sort of things, emergency relief. So when we hear S- Samaritan, we, it's just a name to us. And if anything, we've got good connotations, we've got charitable connotations with it. So let me give you a quick history lesson. Samaria formed when Israel uh, split from Judah, when just after Solomon was king. Solomon had a son called Rehoboam, and he was handing over to him. There was another guy called Jeroboam, who was in charge of the labour force. Now, a prophet came to Jeroboam at one stage and said, you are going to be king of a nation, you're going to be king over Israel. So Jeroboam said, I can't see how that's going to happen, but okay. Rehoboam, when he became king, took advice of how I should treat the people. He took poor advice and all the people apart from Judah says, that's it, you're not going to be king over us, we don't have to stand for this. So Jeroboam stands up and said, okay, I'll be your king and away they go, leaving the tribe of Judah on their own and all the other nations became Israel. Out of that nation of Israel, part of that became Samaria. They went off, they set up their own temple as a copy of the one in Jerusalem and they made golden calves to worship. Like right back in like Mount Sinai when Moses went up the mountain, he comes down, Aaron's made this calf and everybody's worshipping it and that was, you know, a very bad thing. So that's what these guys do. They set up a temple, they set up these calves, that's what they're worshipping. So, rightly, the Jewish people hated them, like the people of Judah, the Jewish people, they hated Samaritans. Samaritans were, were unclean, they were, they were worshipping idols, they were just, you know, you did not want anything to do with them. Um, for Jewish people, calling someone a Samaritan would be an insult. Uh, even for Jesus, uh, in John... Uh, chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews answered him, answered Jesus, they said, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan, that you're demon-possessed? Like they were thinking of the dirtiest insult they could throw at him and that's what they came up with, a Samaritan. And to deal with Samaritans was a, a shocking and scandalous thing. When Jesus heals the ten lepers, the one who comes back and thanks him is a Samaritan. And he's, oh, you know, that's, what's he doing even talking to a Samaritan? And then when, when Jesus and the apostles are travelling, they have to travel through Samaria at one stage to come back to Jerusalem and the apostles go off to find food, Jesus starts talking to a woman at a well and the, the apostles come back and they're surprised 
it said. They would have been horrified. What's Jesus doing talking to a woman in the first place? Like, you don't do that. And a Samaritan woman, that's like beyond offensive and disgusting. Like, what are you doing talking to her? Um, all we get in the Bible is surprised. But um, so he picks, Jesus picks the very last person people would expect in this story to, to be his hero, the Samaritan. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, we could break the parable down there and say, okay, well, this is, this is how to be a good Samaritan. Okay, this is what the parable is about. Um, the man met his immediate needs. He goes out of his way to see he's cared for follows up later to see it's all covered. He interrupted his business. Uh, He uses his time, his resources and his money. So I could give you a nice little five steps. If you notice someone needing help, you should stop and help. Number two, don't discriminate. You should help anybody. Number three, attend to their immediate needs. In this case, it was cleaning and bandaging. Uh, Number four, make sure you see that their immediate future is okay. In this case, he took him to an inn. Number five, follow up later. Uh, In this case, he followed up with the innkeeper or promised to follow up with the innkeeper. Now, they're all valid points. They're good points in in how to be a good Samaritan. But we need to remember that's not what Jesus was answering. He wasn't asked, how do I love my neighbour? He was asked, who is my neighbour? And that is why Jesus was telling his parable, to answer the question, who is my neighbour? Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Notice the expert in the law doesn't even say a Samaritan. Jesus says a Samaritan came down the road. The expert in the law doesn't even want to say the word. He just says the, the one, the one who helped him. And that definition of mercy says the one who had mercy on him. That word... Define, uh, the definition of that word is kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. Kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. And it's exactly the same sense that God has mercy on us, exactly the same way, with that desire to help. So then Jesus says, that's okay. You understand, you've identified the one who was his neighbour, just go and do that. So what we have lost with this parable is just how scandalous and shocking that story was when Jesus told it. Um, He shocked his audience by having the Samaritan as a hero, I think to the point of really offending them. Some people would have been really put off by that. I mean, I... I initially thought of, oh, you know, I'll retell a parable and I'll use, like, Pastor Brad and I might use, you know, like, Jack and I'll use somebody else, you know, tell the story that way. But as I thought about it, I couldn't think of a a group of people that would offend you enough to be the Samaritan because we don't tend to have people we hate that much who we find really offensive But we do have our prejudices and whether we like it or not and definitely whether we admit it or not, we all have them. And our prejudice 
might be you know, towards young people. It might be towards unemployed people. It might be towards people who smell. It might be towards homeless people. It may be to some different ethnic groups. We may not hate them, like the Jews hated the Samaritans, but we don't want anything to do with them. Uh, if we talk about them, we normally don't talk about them well. So we have our prejudices. We do actually have that group. But when Jesus told this story, it would have been so shocking and borderline offensive to his audience. The only similarity I could give is if I got up here to, tell, to give you a sermon and I gave you a really good sermon and it had really strong theological points that you couldn't argue with, but all through that sermon I used all the swear words there are. Now, you can't argue with my truth, but you would be horribly offended by the way I presented that. And that's a similar way. Jesus, in using a Samaritan, has thrown out a really offensive thing in front of these people. So, loving your neighbour is a call to be as sort of shocking and outside the box in our thinking um, to the point of almost being offensive. to to follow what Jesus is saying. He redefines that instruction from God to love your neighbour as yourself, to become the full sense that it should be. He says in Matthew that he comes to fulfil the law because people say, oh, you've come just to do away with it. He says, I haven't, I've come to actually fulfil the law. And he says things like this in Matthew's Gospel, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery. You've heard that it was said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them, the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that is shocking teaching. Turn in the other cheek. You know, if someone sues you for your shirt, give them your coat as well. Love an enemy. But that shows the heart of God to us. And it's the same in this parable. They're shocking, scandalous sort of things. But that's just like God's love to us. It is a shocking and scandalous thing that God who created the universe could love us. So to love my neighbour is myself. Who is my neighbour? The one to whom I show mercy and kindness the one I desire to help in their affliction, in their trouble. So this includes all of humanity. In using the Samaritan as his hero, God removes, or Jesus removes, the opportunity for us to choose our neighbours. We can't even choose our definition of a neighbour. It is everybody. We have no excuse not to show mercy, to reach out and to help in real and practical ways. Um, And that is anybody that we notice around us. And it includes the very people we dislike, the people we don't want to associate with, um, the people that we have a a prejudice against, the people we consider unclean in our own way these days. 
the people who we think would tarnish our reputation to be hanging out with or helping. So who is my neighbour? Any person you come into contact with. Any person God causes you to notice as you go through life. And you should be prepared to stop and help however you can, no matter how it might interrupt your life and even leave you out of pocket. Um, Jesus also said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than any others? Do not even pagans do that? So what would you do for yourself, for a loved family member, uh, for a close friend? Would, what would you spend? Would you interrupt your day and put other things aside to help them? Would you risk people thinking you were stupid? Would you risk people thinking you're wasting your time or that, that would do no good in the long run? Um, would you run the risk of people looking at you thinking, oh, well, you're running a bit of a risk helping them? If we would do it for ourselves or our family or our friends, Jesus tells us in this parable we must be willing to do it for whoever he puts in our path, whoever we notice as we're travelling down that road. Now, loving our neighbour like that is often easy in the big things. If we have a disaster, if we have bushfires and floods, um, if a family has a tragedy, strangers will pour out their hearts. They will put aside their time. They will reach into their pocket. They will give money. They'll buy things. They will get working bees together. Um, it's easy in the big things. And it's just like in a, a marriage. It's easy to show your love in the big things. It's easy for wedding anniversaries. It's easy to go out for a special dinner. It's easy to organise a big holiday. It's, oh, this tells you I love you. But just like in a marriage, it's the everyday things. It's the picking up somebody's dirty undies because they didn't put them in the washing basket. It's doing the household chores that aren't really yours to do, but, you know, you do them anyway. It's doing the extra trip to the shops when you've just gone home. Uh, it's all those little things. They're the things that tell the other person that you love them. And it's the same with loving our neighbour. It's easy in the big things. It's easy in the one-off things to say, oh, I'm going to put aside time. I'm going to help out at the working bee. I'm going to give lots of money and I'm going to take a week off work and I'm going to help at the relief centre. They're, that's easier to do. The hard things to do are the everyday things. Um, bringing in your neighbour's bins, you know, maybe mowing their lawn. The typical thing is when the rubbish bin blows over and the rubbish is all in the street, actually walking up the street, picking up your neighbour's rubbish, putting it in the bin. Um, giving somebody a, a ride down the street to do their shopping. Stopping in the car park to help somebody who's struggling to park their car or struggling with their shopping. Um, helping them, someone in the park with their kids taking time to have a coffee with someone who you notice in the coffee shop who looks lonely and you're on a bit of a schedule and you go, oh man, that person looks so miserable but, you know, I've got places to be. You know, taking that time because God has brought them to your notice. So it's all those little things um, that we do. That shows our love for people. Whether we're willing to be interrupted, um, spend our time, our resources for the people we have no connection with, even at the cost of how it may look to those around us or what other people may think of us. And I, I find this 
quite shocking and I find it scary to contemplate. Um, but I want to give you an example, an everyday example of, of how it looks. And it's not a perfect example um, because the people involved weren't total strangers to each other like the Samaritan on the road, but it gives you an idea of the spirit of it. And I'm going to invoke the privilege of when you do a sermon of using your children as an example. See, I told you I would. So this involves Will. Now, Will is a very generous guy. If you've ever known Will, he's a very generous sort of guy. And he likes to help people. He likes to help lots of people. And he will tell me how he's helping people out. But as a dad, I have often thought, well, you know, that's a poorly thought through sort of plan. Or I would think, well, that's a bit foolish. Or I would think, oh, you know, this is something I guess he'll learn from. You know, it, it's something I would definitely not do. And if he'd come to me first, I would have said, you don't need to do that. Um, he will help people and it costs him time and resources, very often costs him money. And it may be um, having people in his home. It may be looking after stuff for people. And one little example, he was looking after a car for somebody. Um, won't worry about their circumstances, but about why, but he had to. Now, Will hasn't got a place to put a car, but this guy needed his car looked after. So, Will said, yeah, I can, I'll do that for you, no worries. So, okay, you think, well, that's good. But then, the car goes, so it didn't need mechanical work or anything like that, but it was, you know, like, it was filthy inside, it was really untidy. So, Will cleans it out, like, really cleans it out, details it, smells nice, looks lovely. Will notices things are broken, so, you know, little switches or buttons, oh, I'll fix that looks at the back, oh, I can fix that, I can fix this. And he's telling me all these things. And I'm sort of thinking, oh, for goodness sake, mate, why, why are you spending money on this? If the guy, if he doesn't keep his car clean, why on earth are you cleaning it? But I realised in, in thinking about this and thinking about this parable, that's, he was displaying that offensive or that shocking style of loving his neighbour. He was not concerned about what other people thought. He was not concerned about what I thought, whether I thought he was foolish or whether I thought he was wasting his money. Now, he has an ongoing relationship with me, but he was willing to say, okay, well, you can, you can think I'm crazy, Dad. You can think I'm wasting my money, but that's okay, I'm doing it because this is what I can see and this is how I want to love this person. This is what, how I want to help this person, so I'm just going to do it. So that following of his heart, you know, really has taught me in reflecting on this, that's what it's like, despite what people might think about you. And despite those conversations I would have with him about, mate, that's not your problem. You know, why are you bothering to do that? You know, is, is, is he going to repay you? No, well, I'm not going to ask him to repay me. It's, oh, mate, you know, you'll never get on in life. That is that kind of offensive loving of your neighbour. We need to love our neighbour as Christ loved us. Not through our Christian duty. You know, not go, well, I'm a Christian, I guess I'd better stop. But from true compassion. We need to be in love with humanity. The way God is in love with us. That we would stop and we would act for people's welfare, for the welfare of another. No matter who it is, we would stop without a second thought and help them. Personally, I find this really, really challenging. And I certainly need God's help in developing that, 
developing that true love of people to the point where I'm willing to set aside my agenda and be generous towards them. So who is your neighbour? Who do you need to love as though loving yourself or loving your family? Who has God put in your path and how can you help them? How will you help them? We shouldn't be concerned about what it looks like to others. And I would go so far as to include it shouldn't matter what it looks like to family. If you see that person and you feel you need to help them and you want to help them, you help them. It shouldn't matter what it looks like to your church if you're showing God's love to somebody. If it's on your heart to help, you help. You show love for that neighbour. So who was the man's neighbour? The one who showed mercy to him, who showed kindness and goodwill joined with a desire to help. So just think to yourself, who is your neighbour? In, in Jesus' words, go and do likewise. So let's pray. I thank you, Lord, I thank you for your love that you pour out on us. And I thank you that you have taught us and shown us what to do with that love. But Lord, help us with the challenge. Help us with this shocking, scandalous love that you have to be able to give that out to others. Lord, help us to put aside our prejudice. Help us to put people before our money, to put people before our agenda and our timetable. Lord, to truly see, let ourselves see the people around us and move us to help them, Lord, I pray, because we need all your help to, to love people the way you love us and that's what you call us to do. So, Lord, help us to love our neighbours as we love ourselves, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.